Chapter 15 of Laughter Limited. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jeremiah Sutherland, Victoria, British Columbia. Laughter Limited by Nina Wilcox Putnam. Chapter 15. I couldn't stand any more, but turned and run upstairs with the dog and the baby. Somehow, the minute I seen Stricky, all his terrible charm swept back over me. He upset me from the roots, so to speak, and it was a kind of attraction that give me more worry than pleasure. I hated him, I disapproved of him, I had good cause to mistrust him, and yet when I come face to face with him, all I could think was how handsome he was. So I ran. In a minute Trixie was after me, helping with the kid for once in her life, but talking like a whirlwind as she done so. What are you want to let them hand me a haymaker like that for, Bonnie, she says. Why, Anita Lauber says you are a wonderful actress, a regular knockout, and that you got a big future. Why didn't you tell me, dear? I'm not, I says. I only want to be. And I've been out of a job so long. And then we done considerable kissing and crying, as might have been expected of women, and when the kid was dry and the dog ditto, nothing would satisfy Trixie but that I should come down to the patio and have a celebration held over me. Ain't we got fun? Trixie shouted to the crowd as she dragged me down without even letting me take off my apron. Here I've been employing a angel unawares, so to speak, and greatly to my surprise, Stricky backed her up. You got right, Trixie, old dear, he says. She's a little saint, as I know to my sorrow. She's got an idea that it is possible to get into the pictures without a friend. Well, if looks could have murdered, the one Trixie flashed him should have knocked him cold. She drew herself up with pride and took hold of my hand. She's right, says Trixie hotly. It is possible to get in without a pull, if you've got friends to help you. And I'm going to help Bonnie. Hey, take a good look at her, Stricky. Do you see what I see? Stricky stared at me hard for a moment, and then he gave a long whistle. Ain't she just the type Nichols is looking for, Trixie demanded? What we were talking about yesterday? You said it, says Stricky. Of course she is. What's this, I says? Am I a type or something? You are, says Trixie and I'm going to lead you down to the studio in the morning and show you to Nicky. It's for the piece Stricky is acting in with me. We just commenced making it, and we need a girl that won't cut in on me any, see? A utterly different type from me for contrast, and somebody who won't ask for their name on the bill, because I wouldn't stand for that, of course. Nicky's had a bunch of them up, because he always does his own casting. But naturally, when I am the star, I pass on the girls, and none of these have got by me. You'll do, if Nicky okays you. Oh, Trixie, honest, I gasped. You've been awful good to me and Jenny, hun, says she, and now I can repay it, that's all. You won't mind doing a slavey while I wear the clothes, will you? Why, say, I says with my first real laugh in some time, that'll only be casting us in character, won't it? Just let me at a chance to act, that's all. That night I couldn't go to sleep, even after the noise in the patio had died away. I just lay there on my narrow bed up under the roof, and drank in the wonder smells and sounds of the night, the odor of eucalyptus leaves burning or dried, the odor of oil and the thump of the oil pumps, the odor of cedar logs burning, the coast, the coast, magic. And tomorrow Nichols, the stern, hard-lipped young director, would I get by? To play in a picture with Trixie and with Stricky? And so Stricky was an actor now. He was playing the juvenile opposite Trixie. I must have made a mistake about Stricky. He was charming, he was kind, Anita had said I would have to pay to get into the pictures. Anita was mistaken. You could go straight even in Hollywood. You could have kind women friends who would help you. How pleased Mummer would be. 
So please, dear Mummer. I would telephone her if I got by. No more needless disappointments for Mummer. If I made good, she would know. If I made a flop, why tell her? And Anita. How white she was, with her little silver box dangling from her wrist. I knew what was in it now. Happy dust. Poor Anita, and so forth. I'm supposed to be thinking all of the above, see? I'm laying there and dreaming, only awake, and those are the things which kept going through my head in a kind of confused cloud. The next morning, when it finally come, didn't seem a whole lot more real than these dreams I have been describing. I put on my synthetic tailor suit which Mummer had reconstructed for me, and Trixie took me along on her ten o'clock call. Well, only a person which had gone through what I had at Silvermount can imagine fully how I felt driving up to the main entrance of the lot with Trixie Truman in her big yellow roadster, and parking, nose in, right between Nickel's shabby old Colby Droit that everybody knew but nobody laughed at, and Benny Silvermount's bright new foreign car with its queer special body. Class? I'll say so. Scared as I was, I could not help but get quite a kick out of even that simple thing, not to mention that when we went in the lobby, the girl behind the little window smiled all over her map, touched a button in haste, and the door wearing the keep out this means you sign flew open to let I and Trixie through. The Silvermount lot now seemed like paradise or something to me, with its well-kept patches of lawn and flowering trees and bushes between the enormous buildings. I gaped around at the stages, which many of them are three or even four hundred feet long, and at the massive technical department and laboratory, where they develop the films and etc., and cut out your best footage when you are not looking, and also at the wardrobe building, and the high-class dressing-room house that had a six-hundred-foot front, and many other features and advantages, which I took in with awe, for all the architecture was pretty much on the same style as a lot of Greek temples turned into something useful, if you can imagine what I mean. Trixie, being used to them, paid no attention to these wonders, but at once grabbed me by the arm and started dragging me off towards where a man was standing under a fig tree. His back was to us, and he was entirely absorbed in absorbing figs. He was dressed in corduroy riding breeches and soft shirt with the sleeves rolled up and a wristwatch, the national costume of motion picture directors since time immemorium. And he was some fig eater, for he would reach up, pick a fig off the topmost branch, split it open with one squeeze, bite its heart out, and throw away the skin all in about one second. And it wasn't until we was almost up to this savage that I realized he was the great John Austin Nichols, and when I did realize, no kidding, I begun to worry for fear he might bite my head off, the same as a fig, for I remembered the first day I seen him, when he roared at poor Axel like a dog because Axel had stopped to speak to me. But I need not have been so afraid, after all, for when he turned around and saw it was Trixie, he give her the sweetest smile I ever seen, and shook his big mat of yellow curls like a friendly dog. Hello, Hellcat, he says real pleasant. How's Trix? Pretty good, all but my head, says she. Wish you had invited me, he says with a grin. Do I get introduced, he went on, looking at me, interest springing up sudden in his keen blue eyes. My friend, Miss Delane, says Trixie. I thought she might do for my foil in the mischief maker. What about it? I'm glad to meet you, Miss Delane, says Nichols, in quite a new voice, a sincere musical voice with a high-class, genuine English accent. Indeed, I believe I'm going to be exceptionally glad to meet you. Pleased, I managed to gulp. But I liked him right away. He looked to be real all the way through. Something in me recognized him. I don't know any other way to tell what I mean. I didn't fall in love, not then nor ever with him, but I knew him right away. Isn't she the type, says Trixie? 
She's a friend of mine. I can work with her, I know. Then she whispered in his ear, but I couldn't help but hear, Cheap, she says. And you know how Benny is acting about salaries just now. He nodded and kept on looking at me thoughtfully. And of course that made me stand awkward and look awkward, not to mention feeling ditto. But there was nothing personal in the way he give me the up and down. Then he smiled again, that wonderful smile. Had any experience, Miss Delane? He says so suddenly that I give a jump. For a second I was going to shoot him the conventional oh lots when some instinct made me change my mind. In the face of the first real man I had met in this business, except Rolf, why I just plain decided I would be real too. I'd take a chance. No, I blurted at him. Practically none. Atmosphere and a few amateur theatricals. Well, I see you're not a liar anyway, says he cheerfully, as though that was a sign of hope. I wonder if you can act, and whether you screen. Ever had a test made that we could see? No, says I. He got silent again, looking at me, and scratching his curls first on one side and then on the other. Well, he says at last, she really is the type for that slavey. Pretty, but no doll. If she can act a comedy part, I... Hey, Joe! A man was crossing the next path to us, but at this call he stopped and come back. Say, Joe, says Mr. Nichols, is there anybody working on number four? No? Fine. Say, just take a camera over there, will you? I want to make a test. I don't really know how I got to Trixie's dressing room, but somehow I did, she laughing and pulling me by the arm. When I come to from the shock, I was seated in front of her enormous lace-trimmed dressing table putting on makeup, and in such a dressing room, pink taffeta curtains and pink satin furniture and a gray velvet rug, tiled bathroom beyond on one side, and on the other side, near the head of the stairs, a sitting-room, belonging to Trixie, too, also in rose silk and gray velvet. Nichols was walking up and down in there, throwing cigarette ashes on the floor, and playing the elegant phonograph that was hidden in the base of a big gold lamp with a Jap silk shade. Nichols was waiting for me. I heard him yell down to somebody on the lot to run over on his set and tell them he would be a few minutes late. On my account. Sweet daddy! I could hardly manage to get ready, fumbling among Trixie's things, which included dead roses, two half-empty bottles of scotch, and a spilled ounce of twenty-dollar perfume which hung heavy in the air. My head reeled with it, and with excitement. Then at last I was all set. You'll do, dear, says Trixie, and then we all went down the stairs and across to number four stage. Next thing I knew Nichols gave me a few instructions, and then his business voice was yelling. Lights, he says. Camera. Now come in, Miss Delane. Walk across. Open that door. Horror. More horror. That's right. Slam the door. That'll do. Now go back and come in again. Cross to the window and see something funny in the street below. Now somebody is coming upstairs, and you have no business in this room. They will catch you. Hide under the table. That's it. That's it. Ha 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 ha. Ho ha. Oh, that's great. That's great. You're a scream, kid. You're a scream. If that screens for a cent, you're hired. You're hired. That's enough. The lights went off, and still Nichols was wiping his eyes and laughing and wiping them again. Trixie, who had stuck by, turned to me, and her manner had something funny the matter with it. Don't overdo it, hun, she says, kind of sharp. Then she turned on her director. Well, Nicky, she says, I never got a laugh like that out of you. I hope you enjoyed yourself. I'll say I did, says he, and I'm much obliged to you for bringing her. We will look at the test at the morning rushes. Now, don't get sore, cutie. She will be a great little foil for your beautiful black hair. Trixie smiled at him, her pee vanishing quick as it had come, as was her usual way. Then Nichols stepped over and took both my hands in his. 
I hope to God you screen, he says solemnly, because if you do, we sure can work together. I can't ask you to see the test tomorrow, because that is against our rules here. We like to be absolutely free to comment, you know, but I'll telephone you the result. Goodbye. I walked away on air, while Trixie, of course, went off to work. Back at her house, I did my chores as usual, but they didn't seem real or anything like it. The Trumans didn't come home to dinner that night, but blew in with a noisy crowd around two o'clock, and turning on the electric piano, danced until somewheres around four. Maybe that was what made Trixie so sore and short with me when I helped her to dress the next, or rather I should say the same morning. Not a word out of her about anything Nichols might have said, or anything. So I let her alone, aside from dressing her, and when she had gone off to the studio, I faced a morning of worry, the equal of which I have never endured before or since. You see, I didn't even know what rushes was, or when they might happen. Of course, I have since found out that rushes are the shots which have been made the day before, and which are developed and shown to the director and department heads, and sometimes to the star, just as they come on the reel of film, not even cut into rough continuity. And the object of this first showing is merely to see is the photography any good. The next day the takings of the previous day is by now in rough continuity and is shown again, and so on, the improvements of one day being shown the next until it is complete, along with the daily new raw shootings which the directors bring in. It is a sort of endless chain, a mill through which a picture is ground to the accompaniment of scathing remarks, criticism, and suggestions from the heads. The cutter and a stenog sits there under a shaded lamp and takes it all down, and then they carry the film back to the laboratory and make the changes and improvements and etc. The usual film will be run at least twenty times by the heads before it is okayed, and it is at these rushes which are generally pulled off between twelve and one on most lots that a test is generally shown. And well, all I can say is that if I had that morning known as much about the rush hour as I do now, I would not have lived to be writing this. Sweet daddy, I would have been too nervous. I would not even have had strength to stagger to the telephone when at last it rang at one fifteen. I hardly made it anyways. I was so shot with excitement I could hardly pluck the blue silk doll off that phone to answer it. And then when I did, over the wire come Nichols' voice. Test was a big hit, Miss Delane, says he. Could you run right down to my office and talk over terms? End of chapter 15